Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. In this show, we strive to open a dialogue of how life recovery and God's Word go hand in hand. Every week, our speaker will be going through the biblical process of life transformation. And now, another episode of the Midweek Podcast. So, when I first uh, landed on what I knew I wanted to do a teaching through in terms of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it was when I was in my little, uh, little momentary sabbatical up in the mountains um, where <laughs> oh, so many things happened on that trip. Um, so, I found out that... Uh, Okay, so I Airbnb'd this little, like, wooden teepee thing, and there's no power, right? I'm in a valley by a river. Some old shady guy down the street has this place, so he, he said, hey, 75 bucks, you can stay in it for a couple nights. And, of course, it, it's, uh, it's still cold. It gets really cold at night. It gets, like, in the 30s, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just excited about the adventure uh, and I, you know, I have a flip phone that I'm going to only use, and I'm going to go isolated with my Bible, and I've got my list of things that I need to do, and one of those things is not make lists, okay? I've got my priorities of, of, of encountering God, and I've got my Bible, but I don't have a list of what I'm going to read. I'm going to allow the Lord to lead me in it. I'm not going to do activities. No, I may walk once a day. I'm going to rest when I want to rest, but the rest of the time, I'm consuming his word, okay? So I'm out there, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading. I'm going, I'm going. I'm going to start at John, jumping over to James, hitting 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and uh, I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I read it, oh, oh, and I reread it, and, oh, my, ah, and I kept reading it, and reading it, and writing, and thinking, and praying, and I... I actually uh, went through that uh, a couple days, and uh, I was sleeping on wood, and um, I didn't really know how to equip myself to be healthy while doing this adventure, and I ended up with a horrible, like, alignment issue in my spine, okay? And uh, I, I love going to the chiropractor, but I hadn't been a really long time, and we had this new chiropractor in the town, and so I went to see her, and I, was, I, I, I had pain breathing. I couldn't inhale all the way. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stand. I couldn't do anything without significant pain. And so I'm sitting there praying for healing across my whole body. And uh, my mind immediately jumps on WebMD. And like, and there's like 19 different diseases that were causing all these things. And, uh, and so I go to the, the chiropractor. And this has nothing to do with it, but this is funny. Um, I go to the chiropractor, and she's like, we need to do x-rays quick before, you know, we actually begin to do this. I said, okay, great, x-rays, got it. And uh, so I do the x-rays, and I sit down, and I'm just kind of waiting, and she's taking a little while, and I'm like, what is going on? So she comes in, she puts the x-rays up on the, and she turns it on, right? And she goes, Bennett, did you know that you have a broken neck? I said, no, I don't, I didn't know I have a, I have a broken neck? And she's like, yes, yes, your vertebra, right here, this vertebra, it's like snapped. And she's like, it, it this cra- it's broken, right, right here. Um, do you know when you did this? I go, ma'am, I have no idea. Have you been in a car wreck? No, never, never. Have, uh, have, have you uh, been in a high-impact situation? I said, no. Um, and we can't actually figure out when it happened. It had refused, right? Um, but 
uh, got the green light. She popped me and realigned me, and then I could breathe again. But the reality was I was walking around with a broken neck, and I'd been doing it for a really long time, and I had absolutely no idea. So first thing I do, I call my wife. Babe, I have a broken neck. She said, what? I said, but I'm okay. She goes, oh, really? And I'm an optimist, right? She's like, let me talk to you. I went, are you really? Are you just messing with me? And, of course, my mom and her mom was in town the same time. And so they hear us talking about it. So they're going, no, he has a broken neck. And Lauren's scared the, for me to even just, like, get out of bed. And so everyone is, is, is kind of freaking out about a broken neck, and rightfully so. Honey, you love me and you care for me. I get that. Um, but it, it ended up changing uh, whenever people realize that I was broken, and I kind of changed the way I saw myself when I was broken too. I was walking around broken, and I didn't even know it. Significantly broken. People couldn't see it. And I wasn't even aware, but inevitably it came to the surface. And I am still broken, <laughs> kind of. And when I read this chapter, God kept bringing to my mind so many ways that I could relate to it. And they began, I began to think about what would happen if I lived outwardly with transparency about the things that he's been doing in me and through me, and he did for me and for other people as well. You see, the first, the beginning of this chapter was so significant to me and was difficult to walk through in terms of teaching uh, because it really is repetitive uh, in, in, in the realm of understanding that we live in a fallen world and you are likely going through something incredibly difficult right now. You are broken. And if someone hasn't told you that, I am going to right now. You are broken. Hopefully it's not your neck, right? But you are. There are things that you have gone through or are going through that you are embarrassed to share with the world. There are things that you think about yourself or about other people. And what happens, and, and I understand why we do it, and I've even done this myself. I understand the motive behind it, but when we come to church or when we put on our Christian hat, we feel like we have to be perfect. We feel ashamed to say in small group what we struggle with. We feel embarrassed for people to know how broken we really are. We're scared that people are going to treat us different or see us in a different light. So we, we mask up or we protect ourselves by staying at a distance. And we, we go to a church where we can sit on the back row and sneak out, right? Or, or we, we come and we leave and we try to avoid eye contact at all costs. And what's even crazier is COVID now provides you even more of an excuse to sit 17 chairs apart. 
and we, we laugh at it. And I, I, know, I know it's like, oh, man, that, that's, it, it actually is kind of funny how we do these things. Um, but it's also not the way that he intended it. So when we feel like, when we feel like we have to be perfect, when we feel like we've got to be joyful all the time, for some reason we equate that to we can't be struggling as well. And I was listening to a pastor walk through the righteousness of Christ, which is what we're hitting today. And, and what he began to walk through is the reality that the world doesn't need people that are just always happy and never struggling. The way the gospel penetrates the darkness is in the midst of our suffering, we have joy that is only of the Lord. And it's not because we're just faking it till we make it, but it's a level of peace and security that is found when we completely understand our identity and position in the eyes of the creator of everything. When I read 2 Corinthians 5, I saw it as a poem that he wrote to me as he began to navigate the reality of the, the comparison between uh, the temporal and the eternal, as he, as he described eloquently the fallen nature of this world and the groaning that comes with life, the temporary tent that we try to keep healthy but is deteriorating no matter what, the eternal aspect of our souls, and every single soul of the people that we lock eyes with. The destination, one of two ways, that is inevitable for every person that's ever taken a breath and every person that's had a heartbeat. Before we were even created, he knew us. And he saw value in us. Yet, they're still groaning. And for some reason, we try to avoid people see us groan. No wonder people think that they're disqualified for being in church. No wonder people think religion is a facade. Because if we were honest, it is. I want to read what we've studied. I'm going to read the chapter culminating in verse 21, which is what we are working through tonight. Chapter 5 reads as this. I'm reading out of NASB. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed we are still, for indeed while we are in this tent, we groan. 
being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and so to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be re- recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. For we are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, that's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all so that they who, li- they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled himself through Christ, reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not, continue, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, as we work through chapter 5, verse 21, let us just first say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people that are walking through verses 1 through 20. How difficult it is to be vulnerable how difficult it is to be honest with one another. And yet, how beautiful it is to see iron sharpening iron. 
how beautiful it is to, to feel what it means to walk in freedom. So, Father, as, as, as we kind of sit and take inventory of how you've brought us to verse 21, God, I pray that we walk here with a new perspective when we look in the mirror and a new perspective when we wake up in the morning. Let us begin to get a taste of what it means to be seen by righteous through your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So Paul is writing here about Christ, if you didn't know. And uh, he, knew, he made him who knew no sin. Christ was sinless. Paul is declaring this in Scripture. Uh, it is a, a point of contention here, but it, the reality is uh, for all of eternity, Christ is sinless. He never sinned one time. The only way that his death could mean anything is if it was spotless to completion, if he did not sin. He was seen as righteous in the eyes of the Father. Christ was perfect. Did he struggle with life? Yeah. Did he mourn and did he weep? Yes. Did he starve and was he tempted? Yes. Did he feel loss and heartbreak? Yes. Christ was tempted and walked through life sinless. Was he a teenager? Yes. I know. Someone just gasped. <gasps> right? Did he go through all the stuff bodies go through when he's growing up? Yes. And yet he did not sin. I cannot imagine how difficult it was to parent Jesus. But he didn't sin. Not one time. His entire life. And he made him who knew no sin. He made Jesus Christ where the punishment of sin is death, the separation from God. He knew no sin to be sin, to be that substitute and the payment of the sin that is the rest of the world's fault, past, present, and future. The wrath, the righteous wrath of God the Father was poured onto a spotless lamb that was Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, and it's so difficult for me to even comprehend, but the only moment for all of eternity that Christ was separated from the Father was when he was experiencing that wrath. From the beginning of creation to the omega He's with God, the Father. He's the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They are one in this moment. He experiences the wrath of the Father. 
yet he is still sinless. He paid the price. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf. While we were sinners, if God is all-knowing, then he knows that the worst decisions you will ever make, the worst form of idolatry that you will that you will choose to partake in, the worst of the worst of the worst of yourself, and he still saw you as worth it. So that. Why, why, why would he do that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Before I start talking about what it means in, to become the righteousness of God in him, I want to talk about, so we might become, so that we might, we might, we might, we might. For the opportunity for you to have the choice to surrender everything to God. Just, just so you can have the opportunity to choose him, to be reconciled for the relationship that was broken through sin, to be reconnected, just for the chance of you to make that choice. When I think about when, when I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I think about when I lead someone to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, when I think about Romans 10.9 where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I think about what it means to repent of our sins, to turn from the things that are not of God or against his will, or when we choose to no longer do the things he's told us not to do, or to begin to do the things he's told us to do, when I think about these things, and I, and I know, and I know, and I know that when, when we ask for forgiveness, um, our sins are, are cast as far as the east is from the west. I know these things occur, and I am forgiven. I don't, I don't really have a hard time accepting forgiveness. I'm so excited to accept forgiveness. But what I do believe we have a very difficult time doing is accepting that we are seen as righteous by the price that Christ paid through the eyes of God. That we are in right standing because our position in Christ, our salvation through Christ, in the eyes of the Father by one reason alone, our faith in what he's done. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all of those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, being made right as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the, dem- uh, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The righteousness of Christ is no better on display than when he paid the price while in right standing for all of us. And it is by faith given as an opportunity by the grace of God that we might experience that righteousness being in right standing in the eyes of the creator because of the blood that was shed. So that we then define our identity from that position. A majority of the time that I operate in the flesh is because I do not recognize my identity in Christ. The majority of time that we operate out of pride or out of fear or out of doubt or anxiety that we allow the things that we feel like we're supposed to control, all the stuff, I can usually bring it back to, I was thinking I'm something that I'm not. For some of us, getting out of the throne is scary. Getting off of the position of authority is terrifying. Surrendering the future of our children to the Lord and understanding that he's the only one that can is scary. So what is our solution? I helicopter and control every element of my child's life so that I can guarantee he will not be exposed to anything that is actually bad in this world. That's not the solution. It's not the solution. And it's going to take you 18 years to figure that out, but inevitably you will. Whenever we begin to operate knowing our identity in Christ because of Christ, because of everything that Christ has done and what he said about us, when we begin to operate with that power, it empowers us to make the decisions that align better with the will of God in our lives. We can surrender with more confidence. We can submit prayer with more authority. We can speak truth. And we can be transparent Not fearful of the thoughts or the judgments of other people around us when they see us, but knowing that it's those disqualifying factors that actually give us the opportunity to say, to God be the glory. Yeah, I'm broken. I'm messed up. But I've surrendered that to the Lord, and I understand what he's done, who he's done it for, why he's done it, and the byproduct of me now walking in power through it. It reminds me of a song that my children sometimes sing. Honey, you got to correct me. Yeah, 
You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. You got to go through it. Is that anywhere close? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Come on. Right? Yeah, yeah, going on a bear hunt. I don't know what these are. But, but when my kids, they, they sing it. They sing it and they say it. And the Lord is like, Bennett, this is for you. Right? Because when I go through it with my identity secure, when I go through it knowing that, that I'm, I'm not seen through God's eyes as a sinner if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He knows that I sin. I have a desire not to sin. But he sees me as a saint because of my position in the kingdom of heaven because of my faith and my faith alone. My striving becomes less important because I know that my striving will make less of a significance. It's my surrender that changes everything. And when I begin to operate and live with open hands, with a loose grip, fixing my eyes on him, suddenly the things that would crumble around. The, the world would be collapsing around me, and I would feel so anxious and so stressed and the need to strive and work or do better. Then, then all of that becomes a wash, and all of that becomes quiet. Because I know what he sees when he looks at me. I have made the choice to have faith in his son. I have made the choice and a byproduct of my faith in Jesus Christ, he sees me as righteous. My identity is secured along with my destination. What I love about Paul, and band, you guys can go ahead and start coming up here. What I love that he does is, is he crafts this beautiful note to us, acknowledging how broken and messed up life is. The world is fallen, and you're going to be groaning. You're living in a tent that fails and collapses sometimes. You're going to go through tough stuff. But God, this is what God did. This is who God is. And if you put your faith in him, don't judge other people. Outward appearance means nothing compared to the heart. Understand that you are commissioned in your ascent as an ambassador with the same good news. And when you go and share, when you've been commissioned, do it in confidence. Because in his eyes, you're good enough, no matter what you say or how you struggle through it. Because all the ways that we fail are all the things that Christ has already paid for. Does this mean we should live and sin and sin and sin? No, by no means. Never, right? He writes that. He never justify that. But it does mean that when we repent, when we, when we, when we seek forgiveness, when, when we come to the Lord and say, God, 
and I'm living a way I don't want to live, and I've got to give this to you. Empower me and give me the vision to see it the way that you do, God. Lead me to, to have a disgust for sin in my life, God. Lead me to have the boldness to, to pick up humility and drop pride when I'm working on reconciliation, God. Give me the words to say, even though I can barely articulate it, who you are and what you've done. Let me testify. Let me share. Use me. You can have it all. I'm available. These are the words that we speak. And if we, we and just, just us, this is a little crew here, if we can operate from Sunday to Sunday in every single, in every single environment of this given area, and we walk out what it means to acknowledge how tough life is, to be honest about the stuff we go through and the way that we struggle, to be transparent with how broken we really are, but usher people into the presence of our Savior and into the presence of our healer, into the presence of our creator, and teach them, not by example, right, not by our example, but by his example of who they are and what he has in store for them if they would only come to believe in, this, in his son. What power we would see. What testimonies we would hear. I believe it wholeheartedly. So as we conclude this chapter... As we conclude this starting in 2 Corinthians 5, my prayer is that we openly embrace everything that he's done, acknowledging how difficult life can be, owning our brokenness, yet clinging to his perfection. Father, as we come to you, God, I pray that you bring to our minds things we need to surrender to you. Thanks again for listening to the Midweek Podcast here at Temple Church. If something spoke to your heart today, we'd love to hear from you and walk alongside you. You can reach us at temple at temple.church or you can send us a text message at 252 252- 521-2093. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love it if you rate and review the show and share it with your friends. That helps us to get the word out. Again, you can join us weekly for more episodes on how God can transform us and use us for his kingdom. We'll see you next time.